Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Shooting the Shift podcast. I'm Jeff, joined by Antonio and Will. And boys, I got a rather impressive resume to read to you. Oh, oh, please tell us, Jeff. So we're talking about a former Major League Baseball player for nine years. That's a good one. Then went on to be a World Series champion as an assistant GM and then a general manager for six years with three division titles. It's pretty impressive. Then to make things even better, he decided he wanted to step away and transition to being an on-the-field coach for two, three years. And now this guy is available to be a GM and the Rockies must seriously consider Ruben Amaro Jr. as their next GM. Gonna miss you on the broadcast, bud. But get the heck out of here and be sentenced to Colorado. Jeff, Please, I, I, Rockies. I, I, I have one question. I, I can't tell by that rant. Are you a Ruben Amaro Jr. fan? Or are Well, you? that wasn't a rant. That He was he's thoroughly impressed with Ruben Amaro endorsement. Jr. Glowing endorsement. World Series champion. Pat Gillick had nothing to do with it. It was all Rube. <laughs> and Jeff is Rube's biggest fan as GMM broadcaster. He's really sacrificing here. See, if Rube needs, he can list me as a, as a reference wow. for the Rockies. And I guarantee you, I will say whatever needs to be done to get him this job. One. Good. Because we'll get we'll get Trevor Story for nothing. Can we throw so, Herman Marquez in that deal as well? Uh, maybe just for fun, or give me give me Kyle Freeland. Okay, Let's either or, around. either or is fine. And no more Rube on the broadcast. Gonna miss him. Oh, yeah, ya. I think Jeff. I think Jeff is most excited not to get Trevor Story or Kyle Freeland. It's that Rube is not going to be on the broadcast anymore. <laughs> well. I don't know if say if, what you will about the defense, say what you will about the pitching. I'll gladly tune into that every night. There is only one thing that makes me not want to tune in. And it's the same thing that ruined my Phillies childhood. Ruin tomorrow sooner, ruin tomorrow. Jesus God. Well, I don't know if you saw this, Jeff. Uh, the Rockies are not going they, – they, they named an interim general manager. Um, but as of right now, they will wait until the postseason, after the postseason of 2021, to decide the general manager. So, unfortunately – Here's the thing. You're going to have to stay Former with Former World Series champions don't stay available for long. So, the Rockies need to act now. <laughs> Hey, I mean, hey, he's, before, only, who knows? he's only been available Dombrowski's for how many not years? getting any younger. Dombrowski's not getting any younger. We might just need to promote from within. So the Rockies better act fast. Oh, good God. Uh, uh, we got to no, threaten them. No, I'm Ooh. not. We're Ooh. done talking about this. Hey, We're hey, done talking hey, about hey. this. He also has really good experience. First and third base coach, both for the Red Sox and the Mets. So you can throw him on the field even in Colorado. I, I agree, Jeff. Yeah. What a promotion from being the general manager of one of the best teams in the league to then only being able to get a first base job originally. 
Hey, first not base, even, not even not third. third. <laughs> not even the dude who gets to wave his arm. Like, go home, go home. Yeah, are, I, I'm are sure you he got real good with that stop clock. Are, are y'all saying that maybe instead of Dusty Waffen at third, we should just see Ruben tomorrow, Jr.? No, no, no. I love no. Dusty, but here's the thing. If Ruben is the third base coach, I haven't heard Dusty Waffen say a single word. So I could get down with it. <laughs> I prefer hey. my first base, though, where he's Jesus not doing. Christ. I will All say right. this. I will All say right. this. Rock, pa- rock, paper, scissor battles will not be a thing, though. That that will change. Yeah, just All throw right. him as the first base coach. Do whatever. Let's, let's All right. That, yeah, that's on. about all let's we should on. give. There, there, there's some real, real serious things we need to talk about. And we start with Rube of all people. Well, you know what? We got to get, ex- we have to have some, some funny side of this episode because this next part is just going to be depressing. I'm not going to be depressed. I, I mean, let's, let's look at the past New York Mets series. It, it all starts. Um, Kutch gets blinded by the light out and left and can't seem to find that baseball. And, uh, I, I, there was just so many things wrong. Wrong. No, it's okay. Kutch is going to go to the eye doctor and get it figured out. That's what you want from your outfielders, right? I I don't, I don't understand. And then unfortunately, Alec Bohm ball gets stuck in the glove. That's unfortunate. I just felt like there were so many things that could have went wrong and then proceeded to go wrong with the Phillies this past weekend. I mean, it's just ridiculous what we've seen. I mean, unfortunately, Naris couldn't get the job done. Conforto hits a home run. I, I mean, what what else can we do? And then you look at MLB and you can't replay um, out of the baseline and clear as day, Francisco Lindor attempts to make the play on, on McCutcheon. McCutcheon doesn't even move out of the way. And then it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, we, we see pain just on the field Andrew McCutcheon clear as day stays within the base path and, and and we can't review it he's out but what made it even worse was Matt Joyce was originally safe at first base on that play and then they proceed to go all right we're gonna go to the replay review here all right so instead of slapping you in the face once we're, we're just gonna slap you in the face again and now Matt Joyce is out at first base well, it shows Obviously, the fact that they got both calls wrong to begin with. Exactly. And then, sure enough. What are the rules? Well, sure enough, that play. Now, granted, we can't say that that play like completely changed the game. It destroyed all momentum that the Phillies had. Exactly. You come, sure. into the, you come into the ninth, and then Hector, unfortunately, gives up the home run to Conforto in the top <laughs> of the ninth. And, and there's nothing you can do about that. And then you go. I, I mean, the entire weekend was just, I felt like all of the the things that have gone wrong for the Phillies just all compiled into one weekend of baseball. I mean, last night was... Last night was brutal. Soul, soul crushing. They they literally had... Hey, at least we got to celebrate a game-tying home run. Didn't last, but we got to celebrate it. I was so excited. I was jumping... Oh, yeah, I'm... Same. It was fun to celebrate. I would have rather gotten to celebrate it than not celebrate it at all. I had I, I had about a minute of joy last night, and that's better than I could say for some of the other games this year. 
I, th- there was just so much pain. And it, as it, we speak, we are blowing another game. Surprise. Oh. Surprise. Connor Brogdon. Uh, I, I hate it here. I hate it here. I hate it here. I, I don't know if you all saw this. They, they pulled this statistic up on, on Sunday Night Baseball last night. I didn't realize this. We, we all thought, all right, maybe the bullpen's not, like, atrocious. The bullpen's got a 4.86 ERA and is, like, 26th in the league. I I, I don't understand. Better than it was last year. Oh, we're going to get close. Sounds like not historically bad. It, 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 it's, it's still bad, though. It doesn't just have the word historically in front of it. It's still bad. There's just I, nothing that this team can seem to do. I absolutely hate it. Uh, the bullpen <laughs> it's just stinks. Ridiculous. The fielding oh, stinks. Oh. You were talking about Andrew McCutcheon running in a straight line that wasn't a straight line, according to the umpires. He, oh, You're talking about blinded by the light in left field. He's gonna be like he's gonna end up like the goalie from kicking and screaming. He needs glasses to see the ball coming at him. Andrew McCutcheon is gonna be wearing rec specs in, in left field for the Philadelphia Phillies. Yo, I'm for that. <laughs> Sign me up for that. Yo, I love an athlete in rec specs. That's legit. Oh, and a little more breaking news. No the team need the team need Hector. Picks a guy off at first base to end the inning. Thank God. But he gets out of the eighth inning, still up one. We still have a shot to take game one. Maybe you're listening to this a day or two later when we blew this game, but I'm still happy for now. No, we're not going to blow it. But I, the Phillies are just – the fielding is terrible. And as – like, I, it, it's, it's borderline below average. Uh, borderline borderline below average it's borderline terrible what kind of border weight you got going on here you got like 10 times the extra thick border this thing's way below the borderline for terrible Uh, yeah it's pretty bad (laughs) i just i i I wanted to be opt i was so optimistic about this phillies team and i still want to remain optimistic in the long term but it's really f- hard to be upbeat and positive about a team that just day after day rips my soul from my body. And I go, after game, not watching the Phillies anymore. And then 7-5 rolls around. Where's the Phillies game at? Yeah. I, I think the epitome, the one play that we will look back at at the end of this year and just go, why it is the Reese Hoskins play last night making the lollipop throw to Nick Maton, not paying a lick of attention to Jonathan VR on third base after and should have that, having had a double play. Uh, absolutely. And we proceed to, I get it. You're frustrated, but the ball is still in play. There's still a runner on third base <laughs> to me. Yeah, that's I'm why frustrated I love too. that Reese is on the bench today. Oh, I think it, he came off the bench today. I think it's it's a sign from Joe Girardi, and that's what I love about Joe Girardi is he holds players accountable. That's what you have to do. The way Reese acted on that play was not it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I get it. You're frustrated. And 
but it's and I get he's one of our better bats, but he like his defense has been like since he's been up has been bad to the point where you can't do anything outside of just regular bad defensive play. When you make that play, you need to be sat down. And at least they, they brought him in for the, the later innings when we need his bat. But yep. just that, that it's, attitude on that play and the play itself were just brutal. Yeah. yeah. They, they've had unfortunate luck. And then you look back at that Maton Gregorius play up the middle on the, uh, on the fielder's choice. The call that was upheld. I mean that that's just frustrating at a standpoint too. I, I just felt like that entire Met series, nothing could go the Phillies' way. You look back at that Reese home run last night that found its way to find the top of the fence, couldn't bounce they back. Double fenced. The Phillies double fenced and it came back to bite us in the butt. Right. I I mean it's everything. Like I said, everything that could have went wrong went wrong in that entire series. Um, I, I just want to, s- <sighs> and, and, and I, you, and you can't blame the start. Now, granted Wheeler got off to a rough start, but you look back to that McCutcheon play in left field. There's two runs right there. Uh, you look at Eflin. One. Eflin did. Okay. Yeah. Eflin got, it makes me, I get so angry watching this Phillies team because well, I, they- so much better than they are. Yes. And they're not. They don't do the fundamentals well. No. And then you look at the bull. Here's a perfect example. Bullpen last night. They had they had the lead. Bring in Alvarado. All right. Now it's bases loaded. You bring in David A. Now, granted, obviously, nobody else was really available in the in the bullpen. But David Hale proceeds to give up a bases clearing double to Pete Alonzo. I mean, it's just frustrating. To Pete Alonzo of all people. What? Pete Alonso? Really? Yeah, he's uh, he's had a tendency to hurt us. I hate Pete Alonso. I hate. Oh, oh, mm, I hate Dominic Smith. I, mm, I hate Dominic Smith. Mm, I want him to meet me on Broad Street. I hate Dominic Smith. See, I think you just need to let Jose Alvarado. And Dom Smith, just go at it in the ring. Just, just like one or two rounds, and just squash that beef. Maybe on the, just... on the under on the undercard of uh, Jake Paul v Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, or Logan Paul, Logan Paul. Yeah, which Logan. Chat, well, which which Chato, everyone know what I meant. Chad right, Ochocinco is little, a part uh, of that, by the way. A quick little thing on that. Did anyone happen to see the video of Floyd Mayweather saying he ain't gonna risk his life to? Get, go box again he's like but some youtuber 100 million dollars come on it that whole situation at the end of game one made me so angry because did anyone see what dominic smith said in his post game uh he said that the Alvarado could like he didn't actually want to fight him or something. He's like he could come meet me. Yeah, so, yeah. I, th- I thought and Alvarado then, was going to meet him. He did. He Alvarado walked straight up to him. He threw his well, Alvarado was ready to go. It was and fight then, night. Ding, Sam, ding, Coon, let's go. Sam Coonrod. After he gets out of that inning and comes 
back out of the dugout and Reese Hoskins has to has to come out and pull him back. Yeah. I have Kudrow's becoming one of my favorites. There, there's no no mystery left that I hate the Mets with a burning passion. I hate the Mets. I hate the people that root for them. I hate everyone involved with that organization. And I am so happy that the Phillies Mets rivalry is back. I'm I'm, next time the Mets are in town, I'm going to the game and I'm letting Dom Smith have it. I'm buying tickets in left field and I'm letting them have it the whole game. Well, you better hope Luis Rojas likes Dominic Smith that game and not Kevin Pillar. Well, then I'll find my way to the dugout and let them have it. I don't care. Dom Smith can eat my shorts. <laughs> oh my god! I hate him. I just think mm. you just have the one fight, and if if Alvarado doesn't want to fight, then I'm all for the fight of, of Coonrod versus Smith too. I think Coonrod is ready to fight somebody. I think he just wants to fight somebody every night. If we're being honest, he just needs a reason. That it made me irrationally angry, and I have to stop talking about it before I continue to yell. Um, but God, someone else, someone else, stop me. <laughs> Is there anything else we want to talk about before we get to our interview? Well, I think a special uh, guest. I think one thing I think we should mention: um, the whole Genesis Cabrera, Bryce Harper, oh, yeah, we, Didi Gregorius. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. Classy by Bryce to yes. to hit up Cabrera, mm-hmm. but also let's talk about the the narratives in what was it bottom nine of a tie game when he plunked Arenado, plunking Nolan Arenado, and then Mike Schilt, manager for the Cardinals, who yelled at Joe Girardi the day before. Like saying, oh, why are you yelling? It wasn't intentional, all that. After Bryce got hit in the face, then Didi in the ribs. Yeah. So obviously, and then Joe Girardi tried to eject the umpire. Greatest move of all time, might King. I add. King. That's why anyone talking bad on Girardi right now, he's already ejected an umpire. He'll eject you too. And then you got to go through Sam Coonrod to get to him. But she'll having an issue with Girardi saying stuff and then Schilt coming out and having some big problem like okay who's gonna tell him that in the ninth inning of a tie game Hector Neris is not hitting you intentionally nobody's hitting someone intentionally in that spot I mean And Genesis Cabrera, like, I don't think it was either were intentional, but like, I know us Phillies fans, if that dude ever comes with pitchers in Phillies again in Philly, he's going to hear it. Yeah. Through no fault of his own, he is going to hear it from us. Yeah. Because that's Bryce. And he's missed three of the last four because of his, it's not even his face. He ate that fastball like a champ. It bounced off and hit his wrist. Literally, and that's ate what it. messing him up. Uh, it's is it kind of lucky the fact that it's just his. Even if he lands on the IL, that it's just his wrist. That's easily a broken we, nose. Ten times out of ten, that's a broken nose. I think we were broken very. Nose are even worse. It could have been an eye 
It yeah, be, and depending on where it boom. catches him on on the yeah on the cheek. Well, I I remember watching uh, post game live with uh, Michael Barkan and Ricky Batalco, and and they were going through Girardi's interview and stuff, and then they were like, "Well, we're going to actually hear from Bryce Harper himself," and I'm like, "All right, what's going on here? Like, how the how in the world is Bryce back?" And then obviously it was like an Instagram video, but it was still Bryce Harper like, "Oh yeah, I'm fine," and I'm just like. All right. I can't just, believe we got a resol- resolution that fast. Just I was surprised God Bryce gave us those answers because I thought I just wasn't going to sleep all night. Well, I, I think the best thing was was like you looked at him and he looked perfectly fine. I mean, there was no there was really no swelling. There wasn't Fa- really favorite part favorite part of Bryce Harper speaking that night. He is on his Instagram and goes, "Hey guys, Bryce Harper here," as if we don't know who the hell you are. I don't know. Maybe he thought we, we wouldn't recognize him after little 97 CTA, of the head. Little CTA? It might be. Might be a little. But <laughs> that was the scariest string of – because the way Didi went down at first, I was like, oh, he's just playing it up. And then I looked at it again, and I was like, oh. Didi looked like he got Didi shot. Didi hurt. Didi was pretty hurt. Didi looked like someone just shot him in the back. The way he just crumpled to the ground. Yeah, and then he had the COVID scare. He was put on the COVID IL for a day after that. I series. think that could be related because I know Didi got his vaccine. That could have been related to some sort of, like, reaction to that. Yeah. But. I mean, thankfully, he was only on for a day. We saw him the next day, and he was he was fine. Yeah, Roman, too. Oh. A, a, a major scare for Phillies fans. Um, we could be charging towards our 85%. The, uh, the 85% yeah. vaccination that they need. Yeah. Might as well get, if Bryce is going to get vaccinated, tell him to do it now while he's already not playing. But, all right. So is there any last things we want to talk about? We covered the Mets series. We covered Genesis Cabrera. Anything else before we get into our, our special guest interview on today's show? Nothing I'd just like to say that... uh. That I'm still very optimistic. The bats are coming. Phillies are going to turn it around. I will say this. Phillies are going to turn it around. Even though Andrew McCutcheon has made a couple defensive errors with this Mets series, his bat's starting to pick it up a little bit. He had that nice homer yesterday. He crushed that. He crushed that baseball. But after it all started after Bryce got plunked. He had that bloop single, scored the game-winning run that game. I it's unfortunate that Bryce got hurt, but if we're starting to see this team turn around because of that as a turning point, that's huge. Ooh, one last guy I want to talk about. I want to give some props to maybe the the Roman Noodle. Oh, the Roman my Noodle God. uncorking that what ninety seven to the plate. Cannoned at the home plate last night. Oh, perfect. It was Dom Smith running, so. He's kind of what, chugging along. He's still he's cannoning. His his throw from home plate or from center field to home plate was faster than the first three fastballs that Dave Peterson threw in the game yesterday. And then Roman Quinn had back to back days, triples. Yeah, is, I mean, is Roman finally starting to no take control of the center field job? I hope so, but probably not. I mean, hits in back-to-back days is 
by far the best we've seen from center field. Something productive. That's We're not like, going to have three separate 0 for 13 stretches. Proportionally, field in. with our center fielders and what Roman Quinn has done the last two days, he looks like Ted Williams. Proportionally. <laughs> oh, my God. Can't believe you just made that comparison. And proportionally, not actually comparing the two. Big ball game. Oh, oh boy. All right, so that was a great discussion on the struggling Phillies right now, but we want to pivot away from just the Phillies and into the struggles of the NL East in general. And joining us for this segment on the Shoot and Shift podcast this week, we have longtime friend of mine and one of the smartest baseball minds I know outside of this podcast, my buddy Josh Liss. Josh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the kind words. So, guys, this NL East was on paper the strongest division in baseball, and it stinks right now. The National League least, if I may. No, it's still the NL beast. (laughs) That's a hot We're just sleeping right now. We're just sleeping. You think it's – you think at some point these teams with these high-powered offenses have to turn it around, right? See, like Freddie Freeman and Ronald Acuna will turn it around like that. Braves offense will turn it around. Lindor and McCann will kind of figure it out and turn the Mets around, and we hope the Phillies turn it around. It gets got to happen at some point, right? I think we all can agree that this division is run by offenses. Yeah. You have some of the best offenses in all of baseball. And the thing is, is you're seeing the offensive numbers down throughout the entire league, throughout the entire MLB. Well, you got to think. Is it, is it because they deaden the balls? Maybe. Is it so. because of the weather? That probably plays a factor too. It, it hasn't, it's not hitting season yet. We haven't gotten to the summer. <laughs> so you got to think that once the, the ball starts to fly a little more around the entire league, at that point, I think we're going to see the NL East race kind of heat up. And rather than, every team kind of racing to the bottom, then people are going to start fighting for first. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, the thing is that a lot of these guys, they're already hitting the ball hard. They're already making good decisions on pitches to swing at the play. Like specifically I'm thinking about Francisco Lindor. Uh, If you look under the hood at him on his baseball savant page, all of the numbers are exactly the same as his peak years of Cleveland. The one thing that he's struggling with, is he's hitting the ball on the ground. And for me, that sounds like it's an issue with adjusting to an entire new league of pitchers. Remember, he hasn't faced the majority of these guys before. But your, your take earlier, this is a division run by offenses. I think that's exactly right. You have four of the better offenses in baseball, Phillies, Braves, Nationals, Mets. And then you have a team in the Marlins that is a pitching-oriented squad, I think we can all agree. Um, yeah, with, and the Marlins are the only team in the NL East with a positive run differential so far. That's because of the I pitching. think every team is – yeah, every team's negative, and the Marlins are plus four. I mean, when you have Trevor Rogers winning the rookie of the month, as he did earlier today with like a 1-4 ERA and going toe-to-toe with Max Scherzer on Sunday, I mean, that's a big help. Sandy and Pablo have taken huge steps forward. Uh, the bullpen cannot hold a lead worth a damn. I mean, I know how you guys felt last yeah, year. Gonna, well, welcome to Philadelphia this year. 
Yeah, I, I this bullpen is brutal. I mean, no matter who you throw out in the ninth, Jimmy Garcia, uh, Adam Simber, they've tried, Anthony Bass, all of them have blown leads. Um, the, the Marlins also, they're down th- uh, four of their starters already on the IL. I mean, injuries have been huge for them. Uh, Jazz Chisholm's hurt, Brian Anderson's hurt, Starling Marte's hurt, Jorge Alfaro. That's, I'd say Anderson, Marte, and Chisholm are their only like good offensive players. It's like Corey Dickerson. So, and just uh, so you know, this is a podcast that does like Jorge Alfaro. Oh, Jorge. I mean, I, he was brutal last year. I mean, they started Chad Wallach over him in the playoffs, but like he's, I, I still think there's a lot there. It's just they, they got to get it out of him. Um, I think they can. I still think I wouldn't give up on Jorge, but I, right now power arm power bat potential is definitely something that the marlins have to see through until it's clear that he won't be a player i think he's i personally think he is going to be a nice player for a decent amount of years in the mlb i agree i mean then the speed too is something with alfaro that like he's huge it doesn't make sense (laughs) it doesn't make sense that that guy can run but he's he's one of the better running catchers i'm He's up there with JT for running. Yeah, he's that guy has wheels. Um, so yeah, I mean, 11 and 16, fifth place in the NL East for the Marlins. Washington, uh, in first at 500. So they're 12 I mean, uh, and 12. This is a team that dealt with a COVID outbreak to start the year, uh, is currently down, and they I still think, don't have Juan Soto. Yeah, I, I think we can all agree Juan Soto is the best young hitter in the league, right? I mean, yeah, him yeah. and Acuna. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is a team, once again, we talk about struggling stars. Josh Bell, uh, 517 OPS. That's not exactly what you expect from Josh Bell. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, 621. Victor Robles, 635. Starling Castro, 611. That's half their starting lineup. Only two starters with an OPS at the rate hundred. That's Trey Turner and former Philadelphia Philly Josh Harrison leads the team in OPS. Yeah, we really gave Goat. him a good shot. Goat. Did he even? He didn't even make it. We caught him out of spring, game. didn't we? Yeah. Last year, he got yeah. out I, mean, of um, I think the way this division is set up very early on. The, the way this division is set up very early on. When we get to the trade deadline, I think there are going to be potentially five teams that think, okay, we're only a piece away from pulling away in this division. And the the NL East in general is going to be a buyer's market. Um, The Phillies, obviously, um, unless something turns around, we need a center fielder and probably a four or a five bad. The, The Marlins need some help, obviously not on pitching, but with hitting. Um, Josh, you didn't mention, unless I just completely missed it, but Sixer Sanchez will be around at some point this season. Fingers um, crossed. Uh, the, the injury was is it was a bit scary when it happened. Apparently, it sounds like the worst has been avoided. We'll hopefully see him in June. Yeah, so you guys should be seeing six, though, at some point. Um, the Braves, I think their bullpen is still a little suspect, and they might be able to use some help in the starting rotation because I don't know if they're going to have Mike Soroka back this season he just got plunked on the 60 day il um so that's not looking great for him and the the nationals are i think their lineup still needs help i think their bullpen needs help um 
But I, I think this division is going to be a buyer's market because the teams are so congested that everyone's going to think, okay, one or two pieces is going to be able to put us over the edge and we should be able to run away with this division. But I don't think anyone will be running away. I think it'll be close to the end. Well, let me ask this. I mean, we, we've seen kind of how the schedule's played out. Do you guys think that playing basically the month of April, the Phillies only played the Mets, Braves, and Cardinals? I mean, I think what we're seeing is just teams that are just good. I mean, that teams are just good that are playing each other. I mean, that's not what – granted, that's what the NL East is all about. But I feel like playing – this many teams and this short of a span only playing three teams in the entire month of April. I mean, I feel like that. I feel like that's definitely part of it. Just with the, uh, the Phillies Mets and Braves have all kind of beat up on each other so far. Right. I feel like we've played half of our games against those two teams. Exactly. And I feel like one game, it'll be us beating on them. The next game it's the Braves beating on us. I feel like what we're seeing from the NLE so far is just, NL East teams just trying to beat up on each other. And I think that they're just all good teams that just get either one win or two wins out of the series. They don't go for the sweep. So I feel like, yes, the NL East is congested right now, but I think, I I think the way that the scheduling is played out is, is the reason that we're seeing it so close. I think, I I mean, there's also the fact that we have, what is it now? three National League East contests with Phillies Braves and then the two Phillies Mets games that have been decided by absolutely horrible calls and even worse usage of replay, which probably has an effect, I would say. Um, It's definitely been an added feature to the, uh, to the dumpster fire so far that's been the East. Yeah. It's just, it has all of the big, like the big controversies come in the East. There was a Brewers. Yeah, the Brewers. Brewers won the other day. But that was guy from Marlins still, right? That's so yeah, it's all the you have the the Marlins, Mets with Comforto leaning into the strike zone. We have Alec Boehm touching home plate and being called safe. Um last night he didn't touch home plate. Touching home plate and air quotes. Yeah, he did. They called him safe. Um last night's uh Reese Hoskins. his calamity with Reese Hoskins. I was trying to choose my words right there. Um, or worse, Andrew McCutcheon the night before running yeah. out of the baseline when the stats out of the the this the the, uh, the line they showed stat cast about said it was the, in the straight yeah, the stat line. cast it was the straightest line I've ever seen. Did it's, you guys see um when he was going back out the left field that he yes. walked the yes. left field line like a surprise? <laughs> He walked a straight line almost to center field and then cut back uh, heading towards the dugout. Yeah, it was. Kutch has really been pushing his luck with the umpires the last couple of days. I'm going to be yeah. honest. Well, there he's was also some, there was also the some things that looked like he could have been trying to show up the umps, but I I have loved it. Are, are you talking about the strikeout slash walk to first base? Where, yeah, where he went like yeah. three quarters <laughs> away down the baseline. And then just turned around, like just acted like you didn't hear him. But like, it just makes no sense to me that this division was supposed to be the best in baseball. And I, I still think at some point it will emerge as the best in baseball. But early on, we have seen nothing to suggest that. You've seen flashes out of, obviously, Acuna's had a great April. Bryce always has a great April. 
Reese has been hot. Obviously, Trevor Rogers down in Miami has been pitching the lights out. Um, but like you, you gotta expect eventually. Like I said, this division just kind of something clicks in here, and these teams start turning it around, and they do like they just start winning games. I think the biggest thing um, I, that's gonna be an impact on the division that I don't even think we've thought about at all really is I think the biggest problem for the Mets, who I think were going into the season, if you looked at the national media, if you looked at the betting odds, they were the favorite to take the division. Their pitching depth drops off a cliff after Taiwan Walker. I mean, David Peterson is an eh prospect. You got Joey Lucchese. Um, you got Jacob Barnes. I mean, it's just not a lot there. And I think they're talking about late June was what I heard. You're going to get Noah Syndergaard back in that rotation. And that's another ace-level pitcher that's coming. And Carrasco, too, is and nearing his return. Yeah, and Cookie. So, like, when those two get back, when you look at the offensive talent, if Luis Rojas would, like, stop playing Kevin Pillar over Dominic Smith, I just – I don't – I think that what we said about everyone being close is true, but I, I just personally still have New York like a notch above everybody else. I hear those names. See it with New York. They not until obviously the biggest X factor though, for New York will be Lindor figuring it out. What's until, until he's on, they're not, yeah, they're not not a threat. I'm inclined to believe, like I said, looking at his, if you look at his StatCast profile, everything is exactly the same as it was when he was like. I think the the only one that's down that they were showing on Sunday Night Baseball was his barrel percentage. He's not finding the barrel as much as he normally does, which at the end of the day, we're talking about one of the better players in baseball for the last, what, three to five years at least. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you kind of have to bank on the fact that when Dora is going to figure it out, it might not be one of his best seasons, but he's not going to be below 200, which I believe he's there now, right? Yeah, he's, he's, he is he there now. there for long. 180s. I, and I think as much as the Mets fans are banking on Lindor kind of figuring out, we're experiencing the same thing here in Philly with Alec Boehm. Um, He's just been – and I'm not – like comparing Alec Boehm's success to Lindor's success, but um, Alec Boehm has just been incredibly unlucky too. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's getting a lot of the same types of contact and hits he was last year, except this year it's just right at people. Yeah. And I, he's just been so unlucky. I think Lindor's been really unlucky as well. And if those two guys figure it out, um, that'll be huge for both of their teams. Yeah, and you're you're spot on with Boehm. I mean, the Statcast profile, just like with Lindor, it's it's extru- it's all red, which on Statcast is good. Yeah. Um, this guy is is hitting the cover off the ball, and it's directly at people, and that's backed up both anecdotally with what I've seen. I was talking about this with my uh, my little brother Jacob, big Phillies fan, uh, the other day, and the numbers back that up too. I mean, this guy is gonna turn it around sooner rather than later uh, i think the big thing for the phillies though is actually going to be fixing that four spot uh sending matt moore back into free agency where he belongs i mean matt moore way worse than chase anderson to me uh yeah. and and giving spencer howard that rotation spot 
Well, I, I think that's I think that's always been the plan with Spencer Howard. But last year we saw Spencer Howard take the jump from Double A to the big leagues, and I think they want to get him a, just a little bit of work at Triple A starting this week. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if obviously we'll see Spencer Howard before or right around the All Star break. Um, I I just think you have to a, a rotation of Nola Wheeler, Eflin, Howard, and then like Chase Anderson if he's still hot or. If, God forbid Vince Velasquez gets hot. Can I, can I throw another name out there? I'm not sure. sure. Go ahead. You guys familiar with Bailey Falter? Uh, he was in the other day, right? Yeah, he, he made his major league debut the other day. This is a guy, they drafted him in the 2015 draft, I want to say, in like the third round starting pitcher, lefty. Um, he was never really a top prospect the last couple of years. I've gotten a couple looks at him with Redding. But over the COVID offseason that lasted for a full year and a half for uh, minor leaguers, this guy added four ticks on his fastball, and he's throwing 96 now. I like that. I think, I think he looked, from what I remember from his one, uh, the one game he got into, he was looking pretty good. And then I think, I can't remember who it was, but I know somebody got him for the long ball. That but he looked pretty good other than that. Who was it? That was in Coors, right? I think so. So it doesn't count as much. I yeah, mean, yeah, but Chino Hill, I mean, by the way, Billy Falter, uh, just like Lonzo Ball. But uh, oh, thank God. I mean, this podcast, like Lonzo Ball. I take a, I, I think for me, I don't really want to go with any young, like really an experienced pitcher that isn't Spencer Howard just because I think the way that the defense has been going, mm. it might ruin a young pitcher. Mm. I mean, we look at the, the Sunday night game and just everything that Zach Eflin had to battle through. It was a miracle. We were down and out of that game by the fifth inning. And that that's going to be a serious problem all season with the Phillies, because as our rotation stands right now, we have three, guys that are ground ball pitchers nola as of right now is really the only strikeout guy wheeler lives on double plays eflin lives on double plays and soft contact and so does chase anderson um so that the phillies have got to figure out, like we said the phillies have got to figure out this defense man it's bad it doesn't help when your first baseman can't catch a ball that's thrown right at him <sighs> then proceeds to <sighs> Lollipop, throw it to uh, Nick Maton. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I'm, I'm a documented non-supporter of Gene Segura uh, at second base as well. Really? What's what's your reasoning behind that? <sighs> the the thing with Gene that I felt like made him and like had had sort of caused him to move off a shortstop was that I feel like he was losing his lateral quickness, like side to side, and. That is, to me, unless you're heavily shifting, and I don't think the Phillies under Girardi have shifted as heavily as they did under Kapler, it's hard to hide a lack of lateral quickness at second base. Now, with Maton up, and Maton being primarily a second baseman, that guy has a ton of lateral quickness. He's, he's got great instincts in the field. That's one of the things I liked about him in the minors. Um, so I, you sort of can resolve that if you're smart with your – shifting and with your double switches but without it 
I mean, I've seen so many balls where Gene just like in Phillies games I've watched, Gene just doesn't get there and he really should that go through to the outfield or he doesn't get the second base in time to turn a nice quick double play. Like you saw uh, McNeil and Lindor doing last night a couple times. And then nice- oh, that one double play where Alec Boom hit it like 108 miles an hour off the bat was terrible. And that, I just want to like at last point on Boom, it's not like he's getting soft contact either. He is killing the ball. Multiple balls hit over 100 miles an hour that he's just so unlucky with. But yeah, I mean, but with Gene, I think at this season specifically, it gets hard for me to just be so critical of his fielding because he's been before he got hurt, he was hitting the ball so well. He was doing so good at the in the bot towards the bottom of the lineup, just smacking balls everywhere. Nobody's mis- making the mistake of thinking the Phillies are trying to win a division based on their defense. Everyone out there, except for center field, is out there solely for their their bat. From and Reese actually, Hoskins to Bohm to Segura, everybody. And I'd say that's actually true for literally every team in the division except for Atlanta. I mean, the Mets defense is like well-documented, historically bad last year. This year, they brought Lindor in, which helps, but still J.D. Davis at third base, Dominic Smith in left field, black holes. Brandon Nimmo in center, black hole. Um, Washington, Trey Turner, once again, like one good defensive piece and a lot of iffy guys, Josh Bell. Yeah, boys too. Uh, Robles, yeah, Robles is good. Uh, Schwarber, Josh Harris, and Soto isn't great in the field. Soto's not great. Uh, Miami, I mean, once again, you're in a spot where you got one good defensive guy, Brian Anderson's real, and Miguel Rojas are both pretty smooth out there. And then you got his Philly killer, Miguel Rojas, Miggy Rowe. Yeah, the, the Miggy Rowe, uh, slugging 330 this year. It's another guy that needs to turn it around. Um, but- and hitting 900 against the Phillies. <laughs> I, that that's when I'll turn it around. It is the inevitable uh, upcoming series in, against Philadelphia. But but Garrett Cooper, God, no. <laughs> that's I'm waiting with the Marlins. I'm so waiting for Jazz to come back. I love Jazz. Are you jazzed for Jazz? Yeah, I I have him on my. Uh, I took him in our fantasy baseball draft as a prospect, and then when he got brought up this season, I was like, put him on my roster. I, mean, I love jazz. Call me Barry B. Benson because I like jazz. <laughs> I like that uh, one. Yeah, I mean, the NL East is. So I, I think this would be a good time to give a kind of a callback to, I think, our last episode before the season started, which is where we kind of picked who we thought would win the division. Okay. And like what the rankings that we had. So I guess we can, we all would kind of seem to agree on a top three is, well, maybe all of us, I don't know, of Philly, Atlanta, and the Mets will kind of be in it towards the end. That's the way I see it. I personally see Atlanta figuring it out. I still think they're too good to not win this division. And with or without Soroka, I think they'll make a move for a pitcher because they still have all the prospect capital they need to go out and make a serious move. They really do. And I I still think maybe a little homery, but I still think I got the Phillies 
edging out the Mets for second and the Mets finishing third? Me? I would actually, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I think the Mets are going to take this division when all said and done. I think that Cookie, Noah, Jacob, Marcus Stroman, and Taiwan Walker is like a ridiculous rotation. And that offense is also stacked. Uh, I think the Braves, I have them in second. And I think it, I honestly think that they do need to make a big move, as you said, and I think they will. Uh, here's my hot take trade line, trade deadline prediction. Chris Bryant is going to be an Atlanta Brave on August 1st. No, 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 no. I, I can't see do that. that. I can't do that. I cannot do that. Austin Riley is going to be a Chicago Cub. Um, uh, be an interesting so, trade. A couple other pieces, obviously, in that, but I just think yeah. it makes a lot of sense for both teams. I don't think I'd ever be able to recover from that because we've been talking about Chris Bryant as a future Philly since Bryce Harper signed. Where are you playing him right now, though? I mean, you got Boehm at third, and I don't – Well, this is when the DH is introduced next season. And Reese is the DH, Boehm plays first, and Bryant plays third. Everything about our our takes is getting Reese out of the infield, just taking his glove away and never letting him hold it again. Oh, he should totally DH whenever we get the DH back. But uh, yeah, He's the only thing that makes me want the DH in the National League. I have have Atlanta in second – I have the Phillies in third, close with the Washington Nationals, uh, and that's pending and uh, sort of like the Nationals' back end of the rotation, like Eric Fetty coming back down to earth. That guy is not what you've seen so far. Uh, Austin Voth, also not what you have seen so far. Uh, and then Miami in last. But of the last place teams, like you know Baltimore, Colorado, um, Detroit, like off the top of my head, I think they're the best of the tanky teams. I, I can um, see that. That's fair. We're talking about a, a playoff team just a year ago. So, I mean, a, 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 a Mickey Mouse playoff team. Yeah. I mean, as a fan of the team, like one of the flukiest playoff teams of all time, which is always how the Marlins make the playoffs. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think they're the best of the tanky teams. Pirates, I guess you can throw in that group too. Um, so this, um, when you consider that, I think that we were, you know, the NL East is the best division. When you were mentioning that earlier, I was a little bit like maybe the NL West, but I'm like the, the fact, the differential between the Marlins and Rockies and the differential between the Giants and Nationals is I think, which is why I would come back to saying that the NL East is probably the best division in baseball. Yeah. I mean, Top I think bottom, yeah. at some point the Giants will the Giants will come back down to earth because then you're comparing like, okay, it's Dodgers and really interchangeable, the top two in each Dodgers, Braves, Padres, Mets. And then you have, you're comparing the Phillies to the Diamondbacks and then Washington to San Francisco and Miami to um, Colorado. And I, I do think all the teams in the NL East, like obviously the Dodgers are by far the best team in baseball, um, but I think when you look just strictly at depth, like you said, Josh, it's, it's got to be the NL East. Um, obviously, um, I have a bet in on the Phillies to win the NL East. So um, Phillies would win the NL East. But I, I could really, realistically, it could come down to whatever team's hot at the end of August mm-hmm. or in September. Like, it, it, you have to think it's going to remain close between the top three teams if they all figure it out at the same time. And then it's just a case of who's hot. 
historically, the Phillies don't get hot in August and September. That's when they fall apart. But who knows? Maybe with a new manager and some new life breathed into this team, a a bullpen that isn't going to lose 14 games that they have a lead in um, in a 60-game season, maybe the Phillies will figure it out. But I really think it, it, it at any point can go to one of the top three teams in this division. I think they'll only be separated but first and third might be separated by five or six games. Yeah, I agree. hundred uh, percent. I think one thing that helps teams to prepare to be hot down the stretch is bullpen and starting pitching depth. Uh, I think the Phillies are lacking in both, but I think those are pretty easy areas to recover. Like for example, Shane Green is out there as a free agent. He should be a Philadelphia Philly yesterday. Um, I, I think that Matt Moore needs to be jettisoned in the sun. I have no idea. Well, I remember when the Phillies signed him, my dad mentioned it, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. He got a minor league contract. No, $3 million major league deal. And they cut somebody I liked, I think, for him. Like, I think it was um, one of the relievers. But and I, I was shocked. But um, Chase Anderson, I think, is fine as, like, that sixth starter. So, like, you should keep him around. But I think the Phillies are, like, a starting pitcher and one reliever away. Because, like, you see they've lost Archie Bradley, who, who I think is, in my opinion, their best reliever. Without him, the bullpen structure sort of falls apart. And they Definitely. need another, they need another guy to sort of be like what Shane Green was for the Braves, that sixth inning guy, where if Chris Martin or Will Smith or AJ Minter or one of the other back end guys got hurt, you could call on Shane Green and you could still trust him to get outs. And he's out there, he's a free agent. I don't think he'd want much money at this point. I think that's exactly what they need to do. Uh, starting pitching, you can get guys Cole like Hamels. Cole Hamels, Tyler Anderson, who's a left-hander from the Pittsburgh Pirates, should be available this trade deadline. I like him a lot. He's been off to a nice start. Like guys like Johnny Cueto may be traded. I, I, I like Cueto. I think he's would be a nice four for this team. So that those are easily fixable holes. And that's what, if you want Philadelphia to be that hot team down the stretch, they already got the guys like Reese Bryce, those top of the lineup got mashers that you need to win in September and October they just need to brush up on the pitching depth and I I think they're going to do that Josh we have one final question for you let's hear we ask every guest on this podcast if you're a major leaguer what would your walk-up song be oh man I've actually thought a lot about this because uh, what I do for work is I actually play players walk-up music I'm a play-by-play announcer uh, and my walk-up song would be The Rubber Band Man by The Spinners. Oh, what a song. What a choice. Oh, that's great. Um, Prepare yourselves for but, the rubber all right, band. <laughs> that, that's a great choice. But that is all we have for the wrap-up on the NL East. Josh, thank you for joining us and coming on and talking about your Marlins and the NL East in general. Um, it was a pleasure to kind of hang out and talk with you again. And uh, we will be sure to have you back at some point in the future on the shoot and the shift podcast. So thanks for hanging out. Love to shoot the shift with you guys. Have me back whenever. Great time. Well, we want to thank Josh again for his awesome insight into the NL East, obviously it's still struggling, but uh, we appreciate all of his takes that he brought. Um, Obviously, we're recording this uh, Monday night. Phillies just won it off of Hector Neris throwing 40. They squeaked it out. 
Oh lordy! Team need Hector. Yeah, it was it was it was squeaky bum time. Yeah, in that, that ninth inning. Yeah, but Hector uh, got the job done, and that's all that matters. He did it. Phillies win. This has been another episode of the Shoot the Shift podcast. I keep saying maybe one of these weeks we'll have some good news to tell you guys about the Phillies, and I'm still waiting. But next week, maybe we'll have some good news to share about the Phillies. So we will see you then. Toddles.